1: one. All right, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown. I'm a cloud solutions architect with RightBrain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Uh, also joining us today as our subject matter expert is Preston Frazier, senior software engineer from the Interoperability Institute. Uh, let's see. Also um, joining us today is uh, business technology consultant, Joe Coleman. Thank you for that intro, Jason, Uh, just throwing it out there, any listeners, if you guys have any questions at all, just throw it right
0: there in the chat and I'll be sure to make sure that we toss that in here to be addressed
1: throughout the conversation. So thank you so much. All right, wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Uh, So in this episode, our topic today is AWS Lambda versus AWS Bargate. So both of these are considered serverless compute technologies, uh, and yeah, we'd like to go through and, and have a discussion comparing and contrasting the two. Uh, before we just roll right into it, um, I'd like to do just a really brief overview of what is Lambda and what is Fargate. Uh, and then we can just talk about uh, the the various use cases that would be suitable for, for either one. Um, so starting off, what is Lambda? So Lambda is a serverless computing service provided by Amazon. Uh, devs can write and run uh, code in response to events without having to manage the underlying infrastructure. Uh, So when a dev creates a Lambda function, they can specify what triggers it. So like a file being uploaded to an S3 bucket or uh, an API gateway request being received. Uh, And when the trigger occurs, uh, the Lambda automatically runs the code in the Lambda function, which can perform tasks from ETL jobs to uh, application business logic. Uh, Fargate uh, is a compute engine that's integrated with uh, AWS's uh, Elastic Container Service, uh, ECS, which is the native container orchestration service provided by AWS. Um, So with Fargate, developers can run containers uh, without having to manage the underlying infrastructure. So what they'll do is uh, a developer can create a task definition that specifies the container uh, Docker image to use the resources needed to run the container, uh, and any networking requirements. Uh, and then when they specify the launch type as Fargate, Fargate will automatically provision and manage the underlying infrastructure to run the containers, and, the, and uh, including um, scaling the, the Docker hosts up and down as needed. Um, so with that, uh, Preston, what kind of use cases uh, would you consider to be ideal for Lambda?
0: sure jason and again thanks for having me on um really appreciate it uh this is a great topic to talk about because uh well where where i work um we always have this decision to make you know do we use lambda do we use fargate um i I think this comes up a lot because these are two really big compute engines that aws has um you know how i look at it is that uh lambda i I always is kind of my start at. And then I figure out if I need to use Fargate later. Um, Just because I like Lambda, it's easy to get started with. It's easy to get uh, set up and going. There's a lot less to configure than Fargate. Um, So first of all, I always start there when I'm doing a new project and determine if I need to to move to Fargate. Um, And so I I think Lambda really lends itself to um, architectures where you have Jobs and workloads really broken down into small pieces. Um, you know, one of the limits right now with Lambda is that the runtimes can only run for fifteen minutes. The invocations um, before there's a hard limit that uh, that stops those invocations. Um, so right there, you're limited with fifteen minutes of runtime. Um, and so I think. Uh, Anytime you can break your your workloads down into small digestible uh, chunks um, is good. Uh, and I necessarily I don't necessarily recommend you know going that full fifteen minutes in in the Lambda containers. That's, that's quite a lot for them to to run on. But um, anytime
1: you can have small workloads, um, I start there. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I totally uh, agree with that as well. Uh, another uh, strength that I find for for Lambda is um, uh, situations in which um, it requires a high degree of parallelization or concurrency. You know, I think that uh, Lambda is really, really good at being able to um, expand outward uh, very, very well, um, just due to the nature of, of how it works. I agree. Um, and you talked about Fargate being able to scale up as well, and I think we'll
0: talk about that in a second. But um, you're right. Lambda, I think, has a higher capacity to scale out horizontally. Scale out more of these lambda containers running at the same time. Um, <clears throat> where I work, we do a lot of um, we process a lot of health information, and we have a lot of uh, messages that come through our system. And to be able to process those um, at the same time, we need lambda to scale out. I mean, to to thousands of containers running at the same time to be able to to process the information um so and like you said it can be fed from different aws services that are integrated like API gateway or sqs simple q service or sns um being able to feed the lambda and <clears throat> all behind the scenes uh lambda will scale out or aws will scale out the lambdas and start them up as needed so
1: Uh, it it really helps itself to consume those workloads. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and you did mention uh, Fargate as well, so let's uh, shift a little bit to to Fargate uh, in the same vein. Um, What kind of use cases would be uh, really ideal for Fargate? Like, what kind of a task would you consider, um, like, if you had to look at it and say, oh, this would be perfect for for Fargate uh, as opposed to Lambda, like, what, what would those be?
0: Yeah, um... Uh, kind of going back to some of our business that we do um not only do we get a lot of uh small health information messages but we get a lot of large maybe not as many but we do get large uh messages and messages i mean files so um these could be anything flat files in different formats uh csvs um uh that we need to you know process all the rows in a file or something that's a very common workflow um I, I, there's a lot of uh, health information messages that people have made custom standards. Uh, there are global standards for those. Um, but a, a lot of times people send to us a lot of data on rows in a file. And, um, you know, we we can use Lambda to, to break those apart, uh, but it's not necessarily the ideal place to start. Um, with a Fargate um, task running. Uh, you know, we have all the time in the world (laughs) to really uh, do the work that we want to do. Um, so I see that more as, uh, using that for longer running tasks, things where you're going to can constantly be using, um, compute engine both entire time, um, to, to do the processing, um, to back up a little bit too, uh, Fargate is something where you can start up a, a service or a task to, to run and then stop once your work is completed, or you can run this task indefinitely. So you can have a service started that's always available. Um, and for some some architectures, that, that can be very valuable. So I see Fargate is, is doing you know, two different kind of um, workflows you have. One where you start up the task and then it stops once the work is done, or two, you have a continually running service. Um, think about like uh, having an API set up, and this Fargate task is the, the back end, and it's always running. It's always available to um, to handle these requests that are coming in. And I think that that second one's really valuable when you have a high volume service where. You know, API requests are coming in constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, and I think we'll get to this later too, but it's a good spot to say it. I think the one thing you don't want to do with Fargate is have a a Fargate service or task running and you're not doing anything with the service; it's just sitting there, um, <laughs> spending money. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. At, and I'm sure we'll get to that too on um, the cost factors of both of these, um, but. Um, you know, to go back to those those jobs that Fardate, um does well, it can be a number of things, but but I really think those long running processes where you're constantly doing work, um, that's really good for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those long running, the persistent workloads, the the batch processes. Um, yeah, we touched on it a little bit before moving on to pricing, though. Um, you mentioned uh, using it as like a, an, an API. Um, and I know that uh, earlier you had said um, you typically kind of lean toward Lambda um, first, and then sort of move into Fargate if it seems like the use case would be more ideal for Fargate. Um, I-, I would like to kind of uh, dig into the API, like a- as like a um, like a backing uh, web service, for example. Um, like, what would be the tipping point? Um where you're like, okay, well let's see if we can use this as uh uh in Lambda first, but then um, you know, what what would change your mind to to move it into to f- something like Fargate?
0: Um So, you know, starting with Lambda, uh, I think that's great for a back end for like a website uh that is gonna receive a lot of API requests doing these small transactions, maybe they're storing things in the database or they're um calling subsequent web services um you know uh uh, when a lambda is backed behind um, say another aws service like API gateway which is um probably a preferred choice to use for um receiving requests from uh, a ui uh, front end um you know uh, api gateway uh just for reference you can have a RESTful HTTP request open for 30 seconds on an EPA gateway, and um, if you can do your work in the Lambda in 30 seconds, that's a great choice to to go with. Um, Another uh, thing to think about is that uh, Lambdas, uh, um, they have something called a cold start, so it does take a little bit of time for the Lambda runtime to start. Uh, that's usually anywhere. Uh, it's usually under half. It, it, actually, I should say it depends on your your runtime that you're using. Um, so you know, run Python, Node.js, Java. Um, it, it, that it's very dependent on that. Um, additional, in addition to any kind of um, initialization uh, work that's going on before your function actually is invoked. Um, we do a lot of work with Python. Uh, And for those runtimes, we usually see cold starts anywhere from 100 milliseconds to 400 milliseconds. Um, And so that's a consideration to take in. Uh, Do you need a very fast response time initially? Um, Cold start, meaning that's the first time the Lambda container starts up. these Lambda containers will run or be available for a long period of time. Uh, So once they start up, they're considered hot and uh, those Lambda containers can be reused. Talked previously about um, Lambda invocation can last for 15 minutes. Um, That's uh, how long one invocation or run of the Lambda can go for, but the actual container itself can be alive for a lot longer than that. Um, you know, it can be an hour even. Uh, so once you get past that cold start and you have a, you know, a hot lambda or if your web service is being used frequently, you'll have many hot lambdas. And, uh, once they're hot, the requests, you don't have that cold start time anymore. So the requests are, you know, will run quickly. Um, so if your use case is um you know you don't really need to worry about that you know up to 500 second millisecond uh cold start then that's a great choice to, to go with um and so i i think you know on the flip side if you really can't air that cold start um you know maybe fargate is a, a better choice um for for that and maybe Hey, again, use case specific, but um, maybe Fargate is a better choice if you
1: have a really you know a highly available service you really need. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, for sure, yeah because we've had see, uh, I've, I've experienced uh, issues before with cold starts taking uh, a little bit too long for lambdas that are used more infrequently, whereas having a constant running um, uh, container to be able to handle those handle those requests. Um, can do that more grace- gracefully with that um, uh, that quick response time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. To
0: be honest, um, I mean, most of the, the use cases we have don't need that quick response time. So we do have a lot of uh, Lambdas that back an API gateway, um, which, is, which is really, really nice to use. Um, I will say there are a few tools that Lambda provides to kind of get over that hurdle of cold start. Um, One of the things is called provision concurrency. And this is where you can um, specify for an additional cost, of course. Um, you can specify how many hot landas you want to always have on hand. So you can, you know, get away from that cold start and always have some uh, hot provisioned landers available. Uh, right. It, I'm, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that, that's one tool. Another tool which they... Just released, I think, in November is something called uh, SnapStart, which is basically um, uh, um, how Lambda works is you have your, your code uploaded to AWS and it's essentially um, packaged. Um, and when Lambda needs to start up, it, it'll pull that package and uh, and run it. Um, but this released something called SnapStart, and I haven't tried it yet, but it's supposed to um, basically have your lambda cached to the point after the cold start. So that it is essentially ready to invoke. Um, it's it's going to be a little bit slower than the provisioned uh, start because the provisioned lambda is already hot. Um, but the snap start is supposed to be a um, a cached version of the lambda uh, ready to go. Um So AWS is certainly making it more enticing and to to use the lambdas to back APIs, I think, than um, using Fargate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because especially with the provisioned concurrency, that's an option that I don't see used enough uh, elsewhere. Um, And that can really help. I mean, there there are runtimes... like, uh, Java, right. That can, it can be really, um, uh, slow compared to the other runtimes, uh, and and having like these new tools that they're releasing to help mitigate that, um, that issue would definitely help to to drive more people towards Lambda. Um, I
0: certainly, um, have, have seen that, uh, we, we had some old applications that were using Java with a spring boot framework and, uh, it would just, it would almost take seven seconds for a cold start uh, that wow. to run. And, you know, I think maybe I was a little more naive at the time thinking, oh, I can just port this uh, Spring Boot job application to Lambda and it'll be okay. Um, you know, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you have a legacy uh, use case or application where you have to do that for, but um, I might reconsider doing that and maybe writing it in a different language or dropping the Spring Boot framework altogether. I think that's what we ended up doing is just dropping Spring Boot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and so uh, I'd like to um, to ask another question too. Like, are there are there situations where you think it would be beneficial to use um, Lambda in conjunction with Fargate?
0: Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of good scenarios for that. Uh, one of the common things I've seen is using Lambda to um, to initiate or invoke or start up the uh, the Fargate tasks. Um, maybe you have a, a process where you need uh, to check something on a timer. Um, so you have a Lambda function, and it's invoked every however often, minute, hour, day. Um, and you need to check a condition. Um, and when that condition is met, you need to do some larger work. So... You can um you know use that lambda to perform that really quick check that needs to happen and then have it invoke start up those tasks that run and perform that long period of work. Um you know, maybe it's something like we have we have data. Uh, we do a lot of message transporting, like I was saying before, and you need to uh, you need to send out messages, so maybe you need to see if there's messages available to send out. And if there are, you need to start up a task to send out all of those messages. And then once they're all sent outbound, um, you can shut the task down. So it's almost like a launcher. You could use a Lambda to invoke
1: um, those uh, Fargate tasks. Yeah, and, and just uh, offload the the longer-running workloads, the asynchronous workloads off on onto, the onto Fargate. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that reminds me of um, uh, a project that I had been working on Um, involving machine learning as well. Uh, And with machine learning tasks like training an AI model, uh, running inferences like batch inferences, um, sometimes these can be very compute intensive and they may need GPUs rather than just regular CPUs. Um, And so uh, I've actually used this before in conjunction, uh, Lambda and Fargate, um, where Lambda would handle... um, the requests coming in as like the back end of an API and then trigger um batch inference jobs uh, using uh, ECS uh, and Fargate on the on the on the back end, like uh, asynchronously. Um so yeah, I, I think that there's you, your comment just reminded me of that, that there's definitely uh, um something to be said for for using them in tandem where it's appropriate. That's a really um, good point. And uh
0: I think with Fargate, you do have a little more control over how your environment is configured environment in terms of your operating system and runtime, um, I I believe the Lambda functions are going to use AWS Linux to, to be the operating system. But with like Fargate, you can specify your own um, OS that's installed on the container. And I think you have a bit more flexibility in terms of how much CPU it has, how much memory it has, um, how much storage it has. You can control those with Lambda too, but I think you can go even farther with Fargate. Um, I was looking this up just <laughs> before the podcast here and um, Lambda has come quite a ways. Uh, I think you can run 10 gigabytes of memory on a Lambda container now, which is was pretty good. Um, and but uh, Fargate, you can go even farther, so if you really have those uh, like CPU intensive workloads, memory intensive workloads, um, I think you have a lot more uh, configurability with Fargate in terms of the performance.
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd also like to get your thoughts here while we have the have the time. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the um, differences in the pricing model between Lambda and and Fargate? Like, is there one that's considered um, uh, low, like more cost effective than the other? Or oh, I think we might have lost Preston. To, uh, your the, the you know, use case you have, I I think both both are
0: you know cost effective. Um, but I, I really think if you're not using your time wisely in AWS Fargate, you're 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 wasting money um, because you're not doing any kind of computation. You're just having a service sitting there not being used. Um, that said, I don't think you want to use Fargate for um, small, frequent jobs. That's that's where Lambda shines. Um, it, it does cost more money to invoke fargate um so that's why it it seems like the larger but less smaller quantity of workloads is good for fargate whereas the smaller jobs but much larger quantity um are great for lambda uh so that that's the choice to make you know uh when when are you going to be you know invoking too many containers that you know, lambda really should be used versus using Fargate. Um, I think that's
1: that's where the cost factor comes in and the decision you need to make right. absolutely. yeah. um, and almost kind of almost a counterpoint to that. Uh, I had been um uh, talking with adam who who hosts the the podcast regularly as well. um, and he had found a blog uh, that was an interesting um uh, somebody sharing their experience with with Lambda and Fargate. And they said that they had, reduced their costs, their compute costs, by 90% by switching away from Lambda to Fargate, and I was thinking, like, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> so, um, and reading it, uh, what they had discovered was, um, when switching, uh, they were initially having, uh, uh, they were using Lambda as a, a web API, like, a a backing web server for, um, uh, like a RESTful API, and they had that, um, uh, with API Gateway in front of it, and uh, they realized that they weren't using all of the features that API Gateway provides, and they could really just get away with switching to something like using ALBs with uh, uh, Fargate containers rather than um, Lambda functions. And even though the costs that they incurred by Fargate were twice as much as what they incurred from uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lambda, the costs of API Gateway were so high that uh, switching away from that dramatically reduced the overall cost, Uh, which was kind of funny. I thought like, well, that's kind of like a a hidden, there's like a, when when looking at it holistically, you can find almost like these hidden costs because a lot of times uh, for Lambda to be useful, you have to use it um, in conjunction with these other services. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing that I wanted to share.
0: It is interesting. And with AWS services, it's really kind of like putting a puzzle together. When you make an architecture, you you just have all these services to work with and you kind of move them around like, well, how can I be cost effective and get my work done? Um, it's really interesting. Um, and you know, like you said, you know, there are multiple ways to do the same work and uh, obviously cost is a major factor, but also, you know, is this, you know, am I using my thing, my services effectively? Uh, and there's so many features with these services that you, you might not even know there's a feature available that would really, you know, change your decision. So, and these things change, um, you know, constantly. I, it's amazing how fast they're putting out new features on all the services. So it's, it's critical to, to stay up to speed on, on what new features are coming out with Lambda. Just like I was talking about that SnapStart thing, um, which is very new. Um, they get these mm-hmm. things out and they're available to use right away. Um, you know, I mean, this is a, this is a quick thing too, but uh, one of the, the, the cool things with Lambda is that, um, and other services too, is that AWS has a free tier to use. And I, I know it sounds like you're doing an, an uh, you know, a PSA for AWS here and promoting all their services, but um, they do have a free tier, um, which uh, Lambda, I think you can get a lot of, uh, you know, invocations for free with Lambda. Um, And so that's also a factor into building your architectures too, because maybe you'll actually fit into the free tier uh, for Lambda for your job. Um, You know, depending on what your company does or what your business does. But um, uh, Fargate doesn't have a free tier; you just pay as much as you use. But Lambda starts off with a free tier, and so you get a, a bit of you know runtime before you start paying with Lambda. Um, and of course, uh, personally, if you have uh, you're a personal you know account, yeah. it's great to use and practice and and not pay money for Lambda. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a, that's a cool thing to do. Um, but uh, you know, yeah. it's uh it it's something that you you have to you know keep up to date on to see what's available and you know your architecture might not be right the first time and you need to you know rearchitect it and try it a different way. It's <laughs> certainly happened with us many times. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the um uh for the free tier for Lambda, it's like you get the first million requests for free, something like that. Which is, I mean, depending on how um. Uh, what the um the scale of your application is that could be uh a huge a huge benefit um but yeah with something that hits lambda's quite a lot with a lot of concurrency that might only go so far but it's it is uh definitely a help um I, I do want to just like real quick go back to something you talked about uh with API gateway yeah. too um
0: you know that's if you're using API gateway and you know you need requests to come in from the outside um lambda can be invoked directly from um you know, another Lambda or uh, even an ECS task. I think we talked about how you could, you know, invoke an ECS task from a Lambda to kick off some jobs. But the same is true the other way too. If you have a, you know, uh, a Fargate task that's running, um, you can invoke Lambda functions from that. Uh, maybe you need a small piece of work that's done. Um, during your long running uh, you know, Fargate process, um, it's just as possible that you have architectures working the other way too, or those services to work together.
1: Yeah, and that also helps to avoid any kind of, like, networking costs from you know, data being transferred um, between VPCs or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, so it looks like we are com- coming up on time. I just wanted to get any any remaining thoughts that you had, uh, Preston, before we conclude today. Um.
0: know i think they're both great services and we we leverage both of them extensively uh you know fargate you we didn't talk about it that much that you can use uh, aws has their elastic container service ecs um you can run in fargate as well as kubernetes um so there is a little bit of flexibility there um you know I, i think These are core services that, uh, should be leveraged probably in a lot of different architectures and it's exciting to see the changes that happen because they're very frequent and they're, they're always adding new things. So, um, certainly a great (laughs) tool in, in our arsenal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I think that's pretty much all the time we have for today, but, um, I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, all of our listeners for tuning in to the, today's episode. Sorry oh, to interrupt, Jason. Uh, I think David actually had a question. Um, so, yeah, David,
2: uh, you request to speak. What's on your mind? Well, I don't want to take up too much extra time from everybody, but I haven't used serverless yet, and what happens when you're offline? You know, I'm on a plane, and I'm trying to run my local host. Um, is there... A package or some sort of container that AWS or GCP allows you to run these um, serverless functions offline.
1: That's kind of a tricky one. Um, so I know that uh, if you're if you're working offline, um, if you have Docker installed locally and you wanted to test, like if you were you know traveling or didn't have access to to internet at the moment, um, you could potentially run. Uh, containers locally um, and then you could just as easily run them on ECS uh, when you do have internet again Um, additionally too with lambdas um, they are very much geared towards being run in the cloud but we have been able to write lambdas in such a way that they could be run just locally as for example like a Python script you know that's one of the runtimes that lambda supports Um, so we could run the lambda uh, locally uh, to be able to test it um, continue doing local development as necessary, and then, uh, push it out to AWS, um, uh, when we're ready to go ahead and test the code, like, uh, in, in its cohesive environment with everything else.
2: Yeah, because that's what I don't like about it, is that you're almost, like, putting your source code on their end, like, I don't have it in my local editor, on my local file system, you know, attached to a Docker container, um, you know, like a traditional, uh, script, <laughs>
0: I'll agree with you that it's um, local development is certainly more of a challenge with with serverless and cloud services. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to use all of the services on your local environment. You're not going to be able to use their API gateway, their their SQS, um, any kind of compute runtime like this Lambda or Fargate. Yeah, we're going to have to run on, on on Docker on your local machine or... They also have something called AWS SAM SAM, which is a serverless application model, which kind of mimics Lambda. Um, It's difficult to set up. And like Jason was saying, uh, probably the easiest thing is to, you know, have unit tests that test your code locally um, and then run your core functionality. Um, I think there's still some work to do to really get a local environment. that mocks exactly what the web services offer when things are hosted there. Um, good point.
2: How do you how do you manage with other people modifying the same files for these cloud functions at the same time? Is it connected to Git? And you know, if people are changing it at the same time, trying to do development work, it just seems kind of
0: it's trip. It's true. Um... You know, we have it structured, so we have, um, right, let's say you have one environment in the cloud. Uh, there's one instance of that that code, so only one developer can push their code there at a time and run that code. So there's got to be some teamwork in terms of deployments that are going on okay. to the environments. Um, and I guess that's why it makes it all that much more important to have unit tests locally to, to run your code before... You're ready to deploy it. But yeah, we have to have coordination to to deploy things. Um, we, we do have, you know, two environments. So we have like a development environment for developers to push their code to. And then once we have that, um, you know, we've done our testing, we have a test environment where we can push it so our QA team can can develop or develop to test the code there. Um, so we do have kind of two development style environments, but again. It's one developer pushing their code there at a time. Okay, at least
2: I understand that. And my final question, we'll try to wrap it up real quick, was, you know, these different runtimes, whatever language you have, uh, you know, there's frameworks like Django, whatever, and all of them kind of take a request differently in their objects or how they receive the request response flow. Do you run a full framework in these, or is it a simple function with, that you have to receive like the request and output a response. Good question. You know that's
0: what I'm. Yeah, uh, good question. But um, so you don't have to run a framework uh, with your code, um, but you can. Um, okay. So if you're using API Gateway, which is very common for receiving like an HTTP request, um, what API Gateway does is it receives the request and generates um let's say a, a json representation of that request um which it passes that json to the, the lambda so you have this payload this json payload and um without any framework you can you know use the fields and that json payload which you know has everything in it so you header. can
2: get all the headers
0: Heathers. you'll get all the headers and json payload and stuff like that right right um depending on like I said, you can use a a framework like Django, or we use Flask uh, in Python for some of our applications, and you can, and they have libraries that will transform that JSON payload that API Gateway produces. It'll transform that payload into something that the framework can understand, like uh, into the the frame into the the uh, format that Flask or Django can understand. And so then you can um, use those Flask or Django libraries in your, your code.
2: Okay, and people typically do, like, database connections and session management with who the user is in these, um, you know, serverless functions?
0: Um, we actually didn't get into that too much today, but yes, uh, okay. the Lambdas can connect to database. Um, that, that was actually another uh, challenge that I had, had listed out is connection pooling. And, you know, if you have all these Lambdas that are running, you know, let's say a thousand or even more, um, maybe your database isn't equipped to handle 1,000 database connections at a time. Yeah, and there are are, um, solutions to that with Lambda. Um, There's a database proxy service that acts as a connection pool um, for connections from Lambda. Um, so there are, there are techniques to, um, you know, managing those database connections because you're right. Um, it can be an issue when you scale out that far.
2: Okay, great. Great talk. Thanks for all your help. Uh, you answered all my questions.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate, um, you participating and, and asking the, the good questions because yeah, helps to make this definitely, uh, more, more insightful conversation. Um uh, great. So. I guess we could probably wrap up there. Um, Again, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank everybody for listening in uh, on today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. Uh, Hopefully um, everybody found the conversation uh, useful and uh, insightful. Um, And we'd love to have you join us again for the next episode. And our topic for that one is going to be AI is regulation necessary. Uh, As always, uh, the episode will feature expert guests uh, and interactive conversation, so be sure to tune in. Uh, thanks, everybody, and have a great week.